Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. Uh, my next guest is currently appearing in San Francisco in the play written by Jane Wagner, won a Tony Award. It's a play that comes from uh, the mid-80s and it's been revived. She's also uh, called The Search for Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe. She's also an award-winning actress who's worked with directors Robert Altman. She has uh, created the character Edith Ann. And that's the truth. <laughs> she does it so much better than I do. And uh, Trudy, will you please welcome Lily Tomlin. Thank you very much for coming by and getting up. Okay, you know, you. you know, you're still doing Chrissy, who does aerobics and sings at the same time. I, I know people in their 20s who can't do that. <laughs> and what is that supposed to mean? That people in their 30s, such as yourself, are in you know really extraordinary shape. Uh, yeah, I you know it just takes a little effort, a little yeah. practice. A little practice, but I mean, you do it night after night. You've done yeah, runs in Seattle. Night after night. That's the practice. It, yeah, it enables you to do it, right. So that's how you get to Carnegie Hall. <laughs> right. <laughs> how, did, how did your collaboration with, with Jane Wagner begin? I mean, you're, you're, the two of you are so linked together as, as, as well, creator and performer. Partner. Jane is my partner, and we worked and lived together for so many years that... Uh, and I saw a thing she did uh, uh, years ago on television. That's how I first became acquainted with her. I was working on my Edith Ann album. And, uh, and I saw a thing that Jane had written called JT. And, uh, and I saw it in like a second rerun or something. And it was uh, about a kid in Harlem who, has, who befriends a stray cat. And it had been written for children's programming. But she won a Peabody for it, and it was. Uh, and I was working on Edith, and I wanted Edith to be so much more than she'd been on Laugh In, and so I called Jane. I wrote her and, and asked her to help me, and that's how we started working together. And so I can't tell you anything beyond that. How how would you find writers before that, uh, and and people well, to work I would, with? I would, you know, I would feebly work on stuff myself and pitch with other kids who were writers and and performers. We'd you know pay each other to work together. You know, we'd all pitch together and pitch ideas, and uh, and uh, and I and I and and it was much. The stuff I did in those days was like, you know, I did I did one of my very first monologues was the world's oldest living beauty expert, which was uh, <laughs> Madame Lupe, whose face was you know completely degenerated, uh, and I do that much better now. <laughs> but uh, her face was like, you know, you know, and. Uh, and she would exercise it, and then it would rejuvenate, and then she'd sneeze, and it would all fall down again. <laughs> and, uh, and I did things like that. And, I, of course, I was doing Ernestine, the telephone operator, who's also a very extreme character, you know. And, and, by, I, and by the way, the phone companies still abuse us. I mean, nothing has changed since Ernestine. Oh, there's, there's a, we have more opportunities. Right. <laughs> we have more choice. More it's choice. a sort of pro-choice abuse. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, the... Uh, so, and Edith, and, I, and those characters, yes, I, you know, those, uh, but I don't know, I just, uh, what were you saying exactly? Oh, 
about how you found writers and, and material and, and when you were starting out, going yeah, out on the, the comedy circuit. Of, well, I found it by the skin of my teeth. You know, I just, whatever I could come up with or make up or, you know, work and pitch and work and pitch and... And then, and Jane, but Jane just brought another dimension, you know, another dimension, a depth and a, uh, a just a larger, uh, more poetic kind of quality to the work, you know, deeper and, and, uh, and that's all. That's all? I mean, and that's what I, that's what I craved, you know, yeah. yeah. When, when you were a kid growing up, your father would take you to the, the racetracks. Oh, yeah. Do you still I, go to the ponies? I don't, no, I don't really. I mean, I, I. I hung out at the track because it was fun then. I was like a kid, you know, I was, I'm, when I was, uh, I could go to the Trotters when I was 14, and my dad uh, was just a factory worker, but he uh, was a gambler, and he, he always had a big front row, you know, a couple of grand or something, but that was sort of it. And, um, and he would bet to win all the time, and bless his heart, he always lost, generally. <laughs> but he, and so I would book his bets, you know. I mean, he'd give me, a, he'd bet $100. I mean, my father probably made $100 a week if he did at that time, and he would bet $100 on a horse to win. And I would have this money in my hand, and I was, you know, I was a blue-collar kid. I'm from Detroit. I knew what money meant. And I couldn't bear to buy that ticket with that $100. And I would go, and I, he'd say, he'd send me, babe, go, you know, he'd tell me what to buy. And, uh, and I would just hold the money. I would, you know, stay away until the race was over. And <laughs> but my heart was like leaping out of my chest, you know, because if the horse had won, I, I, didn't, I didn't have any, like, you know, any, I didn't have any backers, let's right, put it right. that way. <laughs> Did he cotton on to you? No, never. I never, got, I never got caught. I would take the money home, you know, to my mom. Right. Uh, <laughs> Never explaining where I'd acquired it, but. <laughs> do, you, do you remember any favorite horses? No, I didn't care a damn thing about the horses, you know. Uh, I mean, I was more concerned about my dad sitting there handicapping, you know, and, uh, and losing all his money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, presumably nowadays. You... I was a worried child. <laughs> does, that, does that sort of worry still crop up in your life? No, I mean I'm kidding. I just uh, I think I I just had a de I had a deeper understanding of how humans you know behave whether I did intellectually or not emotionally intuitively I did and because I lived in an old apartment house in Detroit with many many different kinds of people very political. Apolitical. Was that champagne? <laughs> anyway, sorry. And um, uh, that was my father probably dropping from heaven uh, all his <laughs> a bundle a bundle of bad tickets you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, I mean, I just, I was exposed to so many different kinds of people that I, uh, you know, and I had empathy for all of them. I couldn't help it. I grew up with them and I saw them, you know, in the most vulnerable and, um, and varied but similar situations, no matter what they, how, no matter how political they were, how conservative or how radical or how apolitical or how educated or uneducated. And, um... So I just, uh, um, so I could, I had, I could feel for them, you know. Yeah. Uh, when you played the role of Georgie in Tea, for, Tea with Mussolini, did, did the idea of being an archaeologist ever? No, that was. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't interrupt you. What? No, I, I just wonder if, if, if the idea of of being some other profession, oh. you know, has ever appealed to you. If, if there's something, I mean, you you make a statement at the end of your play about the, about the audience, art, oh, yeah. you know, soup, 
art, right, super right. art. You know, I mean, has the idea of working in a profession where there isn't an audience ever appealed to you? Um, I mean, do you enjoy quiet time away from the theater? <laughs> well, I yeah, sure. I I mean, I don't you know. I like being in the theater, and I like, uh, I mean, because I've come to be able to do it well. So uh, anyone is usually happy when they're doing something well, and, 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 uh, and people are showing appreciation for it, or you feel a connection or some kind of familiarity and family around it. So it's not that I crave the, the, the public life, but because I've trained myself to do it, and there's a, a, an audience that's come along with it. Let's say we've shared the same, some of the same time on the planet. So some of them show up, you know, over the years. And I, so I have a connection and I can sort of um, be at home. I have this, I'm going to digress now, but I have this theory, you know, that like people like, um, you know, like in your neighborhood, you have friends over in your, in your you know, like in your rec room or if they still have rec rooms. And uh, or like you, you have this show. See, and you're comfortable. This is your, this is your place. People come to see you, be here. They're comfortable with you. They recognize you. There, there's a kind of just unspoken family or con or familiarity. And then I thought, so there are people like. Then I think the president, people who run for president, have to have be like. They feel like they sort of the the country is their recreation room, <laughs> or the rec room, depending on the rec room, right? <laughs> Uh, well, I don't know what point I was going to make there, but um, <laughs> but my own feeling about it is uh, sure I could be I could be lots of different things. In fact, as, as I'm sitting over there and watching all you people with, you know, you have an incredible broad no range of I mean your knowledge is very broad, and you seem to have a real uh, you know sensitivity and 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 depth of uh, of you know, experience or study or whatever. I, like, I'm, I'm surprised you'll be talking to Woody King, you know, and you're saying you're talking about a certain Mahler composition or a certain Schumann composition. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of that with admiration, you know, and then, uh, then you turn around and talk to me or any number of people, I, I, any number of, I mean, thousands of people, let's say. So I'm thinking, well, I would never do that job really well. <laughs> But you might, or, or Trudy might do it very well. Well, Trudy, but yeah, but Jane would have to be writing what she said. <laughs> I mean, I can, I can ad-lib certain characters, you know, but, but not, a, not a character like Trudy who is infinitely wise and filled with the most, uh, you know, s stunning observations. Uh, and then Spearhead, I mean, that, they were so wonderful. And uh, so, yeah, I have been a waitress, a very good waitress. <laughs> <laughs> And, but that has a public too, doesn't it? And I used to treat my station like it was an audience. You know, I really respected my station. What kind of restaurant were you, waitress? Oh, I worked in lots of restaurants. I worked in, uh, I first certainly worked in Howard Johnson's at 49th and Broadway. And, uh, and this is an old story. Maybe I shouldn't even tell this, but, uh, um, but so many generations have grown up since I did tell it. <laughs> it might as well be fresh material. <laughs> Yeah, but at, like at Howard Johnson's, you know, I used to, uh, I used to um, duck down. I, I, well, it's too long a story to go into, but I used to wear my uniform regulation, you know, which was really unattractive. <laughs> I mean, I, we had old 30s uniforms that came down to the ankle. We, they were quite cotton, you know, and they were, came from the laundry, and they were so stiff they could stand by themselves. And I wore a hairnet and a little cardboard hat, like you were supposed to wear. 
and uh, good sturdy duty shoes. And all the other girls were would-be actresses too, and they would like come in and hem up their dress like to mini skirt, you know, with a great big thick hem with like no matter what color thread it was, they just whip it. <laughs> In the morning, you know, when we get our costume, our costumes naturally, uh, from uh, from the laundry. Anyway, and they'd have big hair like this flying all around, you know, getting in people's food, and uh, <laughs> and eyewitness in 49th and Broadway was not even half as big as this uh, club here. And I would duck down behind the counter like once or twice a day, and I'd say, "Attention, diners! Your Howard Johnson's waitress of the week, Miss Lily Tomlin, is about <laughs> to make an appearance on the floor," you know, because. <laughs> <laughs> and I would uh, and I would get really good tips. Yeah. <laughs> and I would point out how irregular the other girls were. <laughs> and, and and would the customers agree and say absolutely? Well, you know, sure. They as they picked a long, large <laughs> out of their scrambled eggs, they were totally in sympathy with me. <laughs> what, so when what what made when were you able to give up waitressing and, and spend all time on well, stage? I'll tell you, I, when I, and I did office temps too, of course, because I'd lose my mind waitressing and then I'd lose my mind office temping. And I would, you know, just waffle back and forth between the two. Because I, I could type envelopes. I could type maybe a thousand envelopes in two hours. You know, they'd give me a stack of envelopes. I'd be so intense typing, typing, because I was a good typist. And I, I couldn't, I would just never look up. And suddenly I'd look up and it would be lunchtime. And of course, I'd go to lunch and I wouldn't come back because I'd be so exhausted from. You're, you're, fa you're faster than Epson, I think. <laughs> I was fast. Uh, anyway, no, that's my life. I don't know. And um, and um, there, there, I, and I could have run a coffee house like this. I I mean I I started in a coffee house in Detroit, and that's I thought it was the most wonderful. Uh, place to be, you know, we'd do, we'd do theater. In those days back, this is back in the 60s, you know, and we'd do, uh, first you'd do, uh, you know, poetry and folk singing and stuff, folk, you know, folk artists would come and then we'd have, then we'd do theater. And then after theater, we'd do a little improvisation and stuff like that. And then, uh, then after hours, we'd have jazz. And it's a whole life, I mean, you know. And I could uh, sweep that coffee house and set those tables and, you know, and I was ready to do anything. And when we didn't, when when the other actors didn't show up, we'd just do uh, Beckett's Happy Days again, because <laughs> it only took me <laughs> and another actor. We'd make the waiter or anybody be Willie, you know, the the male character, who has a very very minimal uh, dialogue. <laughs> so I was at the ready. You know, I mean, I thought being, I thought that was. I really never wanted to be. I never cared about being famous. I. I was, when I found out that I could be a performer and that there was a certain amount of, uh, you know, um, acceptance from an, uh, an audience, I was, I, I mean, I was just happy to have found something that I could do effortlessly, you know, without any agony or pain. I mean, I mean, dreading to get up and go do it. I like uh, typing the envelopes and things <laughs> like that, so. I was so grateful, truly, and I, and I thought, and fame is very relative anyway. You know, I, I remember in New York when I was starting out, we used to be on the Merv Griffin show. He would have unknown kids on who did comedy. And if I'd walk on the street the next day and one cabbie yelled at me, you know, hey, I saw you on Griffin last night, you know, that was just like, you know, as you might as well have been, uh, I don't know what, the Pulitzer Prize maybe, or Nobel maybe. 
Nobel. Cover of Time. No, you, you were on the cover of Time. I was on the cover of Time, and it was. I still don't know if it was true because, uh, you know, I only saw one news rack. <laughs> Because I was preparing for a show at that time, and I, and I figured, well, they could have just, my friends could have made this one rack. <laughs> and I went in there, you know, to buy, like, you know, I don't know, some toothpaste or something. To, for, and I saw that one rack, and uh, that's, you know, it's like Mission Impossible. So you thought you were in a set, and they were yeah. setting you up. There, there have been some very interesting collaborations in, in, the, in the performing arts world. I mean, Gilbert and Sullivan, uh, uh, John Cassavetes and Gina Rowland, Woody Allen and Mia Farrow, our favorite couple, you know. Um, and there's a, and, and you and, and Jane Wagner, and, and is there, uh, I mean, is she a, a mentor for you, or are you a mentor for her? I mean, there's, is, is there something in that collaborative dynamic? I mean, you, you've called it an alliance, I guess. Uh, yeah, we don't, uh, we don't really like to call it a collaboration in a sense because it uh, diminishes Jane's authorship because I'm so in the f forefront, I mean, of the audience's mind and, and, uh, and the material f generally fits me like, you know, so well that people think I'm either making it up on the spot or just before I went on stage. And, uh, and uh, so out of regard for her authorship, we try to, we have never found a good word for, you know, to, to replace collaboration because I cannot make people believe or understand that Jane is the writer, you know. And so that's, is that what you meant? Well, in a way, but also, yes, I mean, that's, that's part of it. And part of it is also that there's, uh, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a working relationship that sometimes shows up in show business and it creates very magical things as a, as a result, and, and, and I wonder, does she direct you in pieces? Do you direct yourself? Right. I mean, how well, do, does I she mean, guide you? At, at uh, generally, Jane takes the director's credit, and I take producer's credit, uh, but it's sort of a combination of things, you know. Um, I mean, Jane directs in a larger, you know, more overview way. I mean, I'm the one that's gonna go to the theater and work every day, and, because that's my nature. It's not her nature at all, in fact, we have, you know, joke in the company that where we say there are fans who have seen the play more than many more times than she has. <laughs> because she gets burned out. She doesn't want to see it, you know. Um, and, and if she did, she'd want to start rewriting it or changing it. And so, uh, and she's just a person who can relax and withdraw more easily than I can. I, you know, I'm ready to go in and have another rehearsal just to like change one slight moment or something. Um, there, well, I can't. All I can say is that when I saw, I understood her material, uh -huh. you know, maybe more than she than she understood it herself in some ways. I could, I could, uh, you know, keep four or five drafts of a monologue in my head at any time and move parts around, or, or take, uh, you know, a suggestion from her or make one to her myself. Or, it's a very symbiotic. I can't uh, beyond. The, I mean, once the writing is completed, it's very symbiotic, um, and. Uh, and people would always say, well, how do you work together? And, and I would just drop to my knees and say, please write, please write. <laughs> you know, that's a... There's a, there was a nice moment in, in, uh, in, the, in your curtain call where, and by the way, your show has been extended to February 24th, yes. uh, is you, you sort of come out and all we see is your hand from behind the, the oh. in the wings. Oh, and then you come out. Yeah, just, just your hand at one point. Okay. And it's a, it's a very nice moment. It's, uh, 
and just before you come out, and I think it's just before you come out and say goodbye the, for the final time, it's like your final curtain call. Yeah. I mean, was that something that evolved, or you just do? I just do it, yeah. No, I, I hadn't thought about it, about... Uh, I mean, I just grab to the, I take, I take a hold of the, I'm going back and forth, jumping and running back and forth. And so the last time I leave my hand there so they know I'm coming right back. (laughs) I mean, I just hang on to the proscenium and then come, come back like that. Well, thanks. I didn't, I didn't even think of it in that way. No, it's just one of those little moments. And and if you, if you do work on, in this material and you, and, and I know you've got a, a piece that is a play and, you know, like Beckett, it's the play, and that's what you're doing now. But there also must be a temptation to work on a new project too, for Jane to write well, new things, more Post-it notes. I mean, this. I mean, it's just just because we revived the search doesn't mean we didn't work on other things in between. We worked on lots of stuff, and in fact, I mean, we did uh, one thing in particular. We did three uh, animated Edith Ann specials, and we want and Jane won a Peabody for one of those. But because uh, we wanted a series for Edith very badly, and we never were able to get a series. We just did the specials, and they were. Um, a little too um, ambitious, I suppose, for, um, I mean, we could, we only produced one a year for a while, and uh, uh, let me think what I can say. Um, but it, we're always working on it, we're always working on a TV show, you know, we've, we've done a couple of TV series, I mean, but we had to take so many notes and so many changes that we finally just abandoned them. The, the networks for a while would not let you do certain sketches on the show, and even well, after you did the them. old days, no, in the very beginning, because we did specials in the 70s. Our first special was in 73, and they wouldn't even let us do, uh, you couldn't do a, a, a commercial, you know, a parody on a commercial out of commercial, because they would think people would be confused. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to have program content on either side. They wouldn't let me do dial switching, which is one a concept that we wanted to use very you know, like early. surfing within your show. Yeah, surfing within my show, right. They wouldn't let us do stuff like that because they said the audience, you know, they had such a low opinion of the audience. <laughs> I think they still do, or I mean, myself, they, but many of them. Would, those kinds of things, is that what you mean? And then we well, well that, and you also did a war sketch at some time that got cut, didn't oh, you? That, oh, that, sure. Well, I mean, that's an old story about uh, uh, my first two specials. I had Richard Pryor as my guest, and because uh, and, I adored Richard, and... Um, Anyway, so Jane had written a piece especially for him about a uh, soul food diner where he's a junkie and, and, I'm a, and I run the soul food place. And the first time, the first special we did, which, on which Richard was the guest, uh, they made us have a partner because we'd never produced television before. And he didn't, the, this partner person didn't even send the sketch in the script. When it, when it came back from the network, I said, well, where's Juke and Opal? And he said, oh, they're not going to let you do that. And I said, well, you didn't even send it to them. You know, so uh, in the mean, and we'd also had another sketch about it, the, Viet- the war was, the Vietnamese war was still on. So um, <clears throat> we had a piece with Mrs. Beasley and there's a war in her backyard, you know, and she goes out and, you know, and she, and there's, and there's real, you know, she's being strafed and bombed and, and the, and the backyard fence is all charred and the, and the play set, the swing set and all that stuff is charred, charred and bent and, uh, and she's calling her kid to supper and so on. And it's like the kids are playing war, but it's in her backyard. You know, it's in her neighborhood, just as it would be in any country where there is a war. And, um, and so, uh, and it was a very black, little black piece of comedy, but very strong and very funny. 
uh, as in a black way, you know. So um, was it? Wasn't there a moment where the Mrs. Beasley calls her kid to come in? Yeah, well, she looks over. You don't see anyone except Beasley, and she talks to her neighbor. She yells to her neighbor, and she says, "You know, Evelyn, have you seen my Billy?" And, and then she says, "Who are all these children anyway?" And she's stepping over bodies, and uh, and she looks over the back fence finally, and she says to her, "She said, there you are." She says, "I have been calling you to supper," and then she turns as a double take, and she says, "Where is your leg?" <laughs> and she says, "I guess you think legs grow on trees. Well, come on, supper's on the table." And, and the network cut that. Oh, they cut it, absolutely. <laughs> they cut it, absolutely. And uh, so then the second, t but the show got a very high rating because I just come off of laughing and I was very popular. And uh, I didn't like the show very much, you know, because we'd had this partner and it just, they did so much. So I, so, but they didn't know what to do with me. So they gave me another show and I said, well, I'll do another one if I don't have to have a partner. And so that show is, we got, I, then I filmed War Games again, and I traded it for Duke and Opal. <laughs> I got smart very fast. Uh, I mean, I, I filmed both pieces, and they didn't want either piece on the show, but I, of course I wanted a good piece for Richard because he was my guest. Right. And so I uh, traded the War Games for Duke and Opal. But and, and the War Games never got on. Never got on. The, uh, do, do you, does Jane write such pieces nowadays for you? We don't have a television show. We'd like to have a television show because we like to do pieces like that. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> you know, and, and maybe and and maybe Variety would come back. But uh, I used to do the, I used to I didn't do Duke and Opal, but I used to do war games in this in my stage piece, and I had a lot of pyrotechnics, a lot of strafing and stuff like that, you know, and little explosions and things, you know. Your set is a lot more simple nowadays for. Well, we did have, we used to have a bomb in Agnes, but they can't have any pyrotechnics at the uh, theater on the square. It's uh, because of the nature of the theater, so we had to drop the bomb. <laughs> we had a little accident earlier today. We had Rebecca Walker throw a bagel into the audience. Up there. And, it's <laughs> and you know, and I was thinking, I think you should wear plastic gloves. Oh. <laughs> Not to mention a hairnet, I suppose. Lily, Lily Tomlin's... We're going to have to get those in a ripple, some big ripple soul. <laughs> and I want to mention, I, a, a very nice woman gave me a Barbara Lee button while I was sitting over on the side. I agree with Barbara Lee. And, uh, and how could I not agree? Intelligence, not violence. Uh, anyway, and, and I wanted to just give a plug to an event that Margie Adam is uh, hosting at her house uh, uh, on behalf of Barbara Lee. That's in February 3rd. I don't know how anyone learns about it, but it's a way to get inside Margie's house. <laughs> Probably Barbara Lee's office would know. Hey, that's right. Barbara Lee's office would know. Thank you very much, and thank you for bringing your show to town again. Thank you. Thank you. Search for signs of intelligent life in the universe. It's at the theater in the square through February 24th. Thank you very much. Pleasure to meet you. Lily Toblin. Art, not soup. This is Edge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.